you would pray with me and then we'll look at that together, but let's pray first. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered in your name. We thank you for your word and uh, the way it teaches and guides and leads us. We pray that as we spend time in it this morning, that you would be the one who does just that. Uh, We confess each week as we open your word that we cannot do this without you. And even as what we look at this morning, that we have been set apart in the sanctification of the spirit, that it's your spirit that sets us apart. And it's that your spirit that teaches us and leads us and guides us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would lead us and that you would guide us and that you would continue to teach us. I pray that as we think on these things in the way that you're working, that we'd see it afresh, that we'd see it in a fuller picture than we ever have before, and that it would be all for your glory alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there is a, a incredible tree uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, I go run in this part of my neighborhood, and as I run around this big circle, I run past it over and over. And it's uh, it looks like from a movie. Um, it's almost like mythical looking. It's massive tree. It's kind of beat up, and the way it branches out, the trunk is like if I were to put my arms around it, it'd be like this. Like it's that big. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Sometimes I just go back and stand in the woods and stand there. And look at it and just go, this is incredible. This has obviously been here for a really, really long time. And as you start to look at it, it's weathered and it's kind of beaten up and the, the, the uh, branches are kind of weird and broken in some places, but it's still flowers and it's still growing and it's still there and it's still standing. And it's amazing when you look at it and you think about it still being there and being there for as long as it has and what's gone through and what it's gone through to still be standing there. And if you know anything about the way a tree works, it's still standing there because of the roots that are holding it up, right? Like if, I mean, you know this in a tree, I'm sure most of you know this, that the tree, the roots go way down into the ground, sometimes 10, 12, 15 feet deep. And oftentimes they spread out to be almost as tall as the, as wide as the tree is tall. And so there's roots in there that hold that in place. And so that tree that has been there for so long, that's obviously weathered through a whole lot of things is still standing because of that root system. And I was thinking about that tree in relation to First Peter that we started last week. And so if you're here with us, we just started into the book of First Peter. And so it's the Apostle Peter writing to the early church that's struggling with a whole lot of really difficult and hard things. And what Peter does right at the beginning that we started to look at last week and we're going to continue to look at this week is he starts with kind of pointing uh, to the infinitely deep root system that we have and our Savior, and who God is, and what he's done, and the things that he's done that go back to before time began, eternity past, and how deep that root system is, that it goes back to before creation. And so last week, we started to kind of dig down and expose some of that root system, if you will. We started to look at like the things that it tells us, that, that we are called by God, or elect exiles, the, the language he uses. And we said last week, chosen. The word elect often is translated chosen, chosen by God out of the world because of the foreknowledge of the Father. And we said the foreknowledge of the Father is this love that God set on us through his own affection and eternity passed by no doing of our own to call us to himself, to choose us out of the world. And so chosen exiles or elect exiles that this world is not our home. And it starts to show us that we are citizens of heaven and what that looks like. And so Peter begins, even in his greeting, to start to talk about the massively huge implications of who God is 
and the ways he's been working and how it holds us in place through all things. And so we're going to continue to look at that this morning. And as we do, I want us to start to think about the way he says in which he does that. And the way it's, it's because of the foreknowledge of the father that we talked about last week. But then he's going to turn and say, in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus, for the sprinkling of his blood. And I want us to think about what he's saying there about how God has called us and how he's holding us and how he's keeping us and the way that works. And by seeing that, we're seeing how deep these roots go. And it helps us in the midst of difficult things in our life and when we're struggling and the things that we have right in front of us. And so I don't want you, uh, I said this last week, we, we started in First Peter, we're going to spend several months in First Peter. Uh, I know this first two sermons is really on two verses for the most part. Uh, I said this last week, it's not going to be a verse every week. But I also just want to uh, exhort you and encourage you when we start to talk about some of these things, the foreknowledge of God. Uh, the chosen elect exiles in the sanctification of the spirit. And you go, okay, real deep theology and doctrine and all these things. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want things that are practically important or, or practically helpful. And what I want to exhort you with and encourage you in is, is this is practically helpful. It's the, of the most practical importance when you understand the way God's working and the way he's called you and the way he's holding you and the way he's going to bring it to its fruition. And understanding the way in which God has revealed that he is working is practically helpful in the things that you go through in your life. And so the way I want us to look at this this morning as we do is we're going to spend time just what role really we're going to focus on the working of the Holy Spirit here because he says in the sanctification of the spirit. And the way I want us to think about it is what role is the Holy Spirit playing in our past? What role is he currently playing in our present? And then what role is he playing in our future? And how all of that together gives us what Peter is saying, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, that you would understand the grace of God and that you would have this peace because of the way he's working and the way he has been working and the way he's going to continue to work in your life. And so let's look at that together. But just a word before we jump in of the role of the Holy Spirit in the past. Uh, Just want to make sure we say this. I think this is true. I'm not pointing a finger at any of you. I say this is probably true of me. And I think it's probably true in the church in a lot of ways. That we have a woefully incomplete view of the Holy Spirit. That we miss the fullness of who God is and the way that he's working. And so I just want to remind you. That as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God is three persons, right? There's three persons in the one and true and living God. The Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are the same in substance, and they are equal in power and glory. And I just want to remind you of this, because that means the Holy Spirit is fully God. That he is a person. That he is equal in power and glory to the Father and the Son. But sadly, and I'm not putting this on you, it's the way I feel sometimes in the church, is the Holy Spirit gets relegated to like this feeling or this mist or this, the force or some impersonal thing. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit is God and he is a person and he is active and he is working and he is at work in your life. And so let us not forget that as we begin and we start to think. Don't slip into thinking of the Holy Spirit of just this force that kind of floats in and out. 
It is a person that is active pursuing you in your life. And so with that said, let's think about the role of the Holy Spirit in the past and what it is he's saying there. And so going back to last week, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he lists those cities that 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 letter is being passed around to the churches at that time. According or because of the foreknowledge to the foreknowledge of the of God, the father in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And I want us just to focus in here on verse two as we pick up within that sanctification of the spirit. And I said this last week, and it's important for us to at least be reminded of this and think about this as we start to to study God's word and we spend time in it. Uh, To really get to the meaning, we believe that God inspired the words, that he inspired the author, that the actual words he uses, that he was writing to real people in a time and place. And these words have meaning and they had meaning at the time. And sometimes we can get off on what the Bible says because we take our understanding of a word that's been translated in this case from Greek and then we superimpose it on it and we miss the fullness of what it's saying. And so last week I said, as we study the Bible, we want to say it in the historical grammatical method that we care about the grammar, we care about the words, we care about what was going on in history and what those words meant at that time. And if we don't take care to do that, we can easily start to say things that the Bible doesn't say. We can start to assign meaning to it that's actually not there. And so it's really important that we slow down and we do that. And so today when we get into this in the sanctification of the spirit. And so last week we covered that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That he set his affections on us from all eternity past by no doing of our own. But then it says in the sanctification of the spirit. And it becomes important that we pay attention to those connecting words. According to the foreknowledge in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood. And I want us to think about all of that together, but I want us to start about the sanctification in the spirit. And it's important that we even understand what that means. Sanctification is a big Bible word that we use a lot in the church. And uh, some of you may have a great definition and immediately go, I know what that means. I've got it. It's clear in my mind. And I guess, my guess is if we went around and we did a quick quiz, some people would be like, sounds real familiar, but I don't know. Sanctify just means to set apart, to set apart to something. Um, you, you could do it, uh, you could talk about it in the way we've been looking, if you've been doing through the Bible reading plan, and the people were bringing things to the temple and setting them apart. They were taking them out of their house and giving them to the temple, and now they're being set apart to God to be used in these ways. And so some ways we could say it like that. But then when we start to think about it in our own faith, when we come to faith in Jesus, I say this often, that saving faith is transferring your trust from yourself and what you do and what you think and who you are to Jesus. I'm transferring and putting my trust in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. We're being set apart to him. We're we're set apart to him and reorienting our life around who God is, and we're seeking to trust him in every part of our life. And so you can come to saving faith, and you transfer your trust to Jesus, and you say, I'm a sinner And I know I can't do this and I desperately need Jesus to do for me what I cannot do for myself and I'm going to put my trust in him. But then the process of sanctification in our life is beginning to do that with everything. I want to trust Jesus with every area of my life. I want to trust him with everything that I have and everything that I am and the things that he calls me to. 
And where his word bumps up against the way that I feel or I think I want to do it, I want to begin to set myself apart to him in all these ways. And so you can start to see, if you think about the the definition we use here a lot, or I usually hear a lot at Church of the Apostles of discipleship. Say discipleship is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of your life. And so you're setting apart yourself in every area to Jesus. And so you think about that discipleship and sanctification kind of go hand in hand. They go perfectly together as you're being set apart to him. And so sanctification is being set apart to God as we continue to grow as disciples of Jesus. And that's, I think, the way we often think about this idea. But here's the thing I want us to think about in terms of coming to faith, what the Holy Spirit's been doing in our life, or if we go back before we're a believer and coming to faith, because he says here that you're elect or you're chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. And so he's set his affections on you from eternity past. God the Father has. He chose you in no doing of your own before you did anything good or bad. He wasn't seeing down the corridor of time. We talked about this last week. But he chose you, right, before the foundations of the world. You know why I say that, before the foundations of the world? Because that's what Ephesians chapter 1 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's why I keep saying that, before the foundations of the world, because that's what scripture says. And so he chose us, but then it says it sets us apart in the sanctification of the spirit. And so God the Father chooses us in eternity past, and then the spirit comes in your life, and he sets you apart to God. And I want you to think about how that happens and how that works, because that's really important for us to begin to think about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes in and brings you from death to life, because we are born as sinful people. And so I'm talking about all of us since Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve had free will. They could, they were morally neutral. They could see good and bad. They, they chose to sin, sin entered the world. We are born into that sinful state, every one of us, what the Bible calls spiritually dead. And the Spirit comes and begins to work to call us into that relationship with God. And so I was reading a few weeks ago when I was working on this and and taking notes. And I came across a quote from Tim Keller, and I like the way he said it. He said, that means if today you believe in Jesus, it's because from the very beginning, the Spirit of God has been on your life. And I love the way he says that. That the Spirit has been on your life. Right, Because according, because of the foreknowledge of the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. Remember, God, three persons in one, one God, perfect unity together. It's not like God the Father set you apart, chose you in him before the foundations of the world and the Spirit wasn't aware of it. Right, The Spirit was there, perfectly in unity. And the Spirit's job is then to come and to bring you into this. And so you start to think about what that looks like and the way that works. And so if you think about our spiritual deadness in our sinfulness that we're born into, none of us can make a move towards God until God does that. And so he sets us apart in the sanctification of the Spirit. You can't do anything in and of yourself because your sinfulness. You will continue to ignore God left to yourself in your own devices in your flesh. And I want to show you why I say that. 
why that's the case. If you would, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And so if you're in 1 Peter, you're going back to the left, right? So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you want to use the Pew Bible, uh, I wrote it down here somewhere. Pew Bible 1217, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible. So Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to be thinking about how the Holy Spirit comes and sets us apart as he uh, in the sanctification of the Spirit according to the foreknowledge of the Father. And so Ephesians 2, I'm going to begin in verse 1. Paul's describing all of us apart from the work of God in our life. So where you are before you become a believer, and this is true of every single person before they become a believer. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the air, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? So that's the summary. That's all of us. You're dead. Spiritually speaking, you're completely dead. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up in him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. There's a couple of things I want to point out to you real quick. And then we're going to move on. But I want you to hold this together. First, he says you're dead. You're dead in your sins, right? And then he even says it again, because then right after that, he says, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? So you hadn't done anything. You didn't make a move towards him because you're dead. So I I like to ask when we get to Ephesians 2, what can a dead man do? It's not a trick question, nothing. And so spiritually speaking, we're completely dead. And while we're still dead, God makes this move because of his great love with which he loved us. He makes us alive together with Christ. And then you get to verse eight and he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. And so when you take the context of everything he says, take the grammatical historical method and you look at the words and the way they're connected and what he's saying, what he's telling you there when he says, and this is not your own doing, he's saying the grace is. And the faith are not your own doing. Because you're dead. And you can't make that move. You can't do that. So even your ability to believe is a gift of God. And that's what he's telling you here in Ephesians 2. It's both. So the this is the grace and the faith. Now hold that together for just a second. That big idea. And turn to Titus chapter 3. Right? So you're going to go back to the right. Right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus. Right? So Titus is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, who is a young pastor on the island of Crete. And he's encouraging him and he's telling him a lot of important things. But he gets to chapter three and he uses almost the exact same conception that he uses in Ephesians two. Almost the same language. Like you'll hear it as we read it. Pick up in verse three, Titus three, three, 
If you're in the Pew Bibles 1241, picking up in verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Again, there's his summary statement of what we're all like apart from Jesus in our life. We're slaves to various passions. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, right? So that's that before you ever did anything, not because of anything you did or a move you made towards him or him seeing what you would do, not by any works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And then look at what it says. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so it's very, very similar language to Ephesians 2. But what he shows us here, he kind of adds in that we didn't see fully in Ephesians 2, but when you put the two together, he moves in us. Even when we're dead, even when we're slaves to various passions, even when we're ignoring God and the world he created before we had done anything good by the washing of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration means reborn. It means to make new. And so what he says is you're dead and you're following the world and you're following, you're slaves to your own passions. You're ignoring God, but God moves in the Holy Spirit and regenerates you. Opens your eyes to see who he is and does this work in you. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by what you do, but you're saved by the Spirit coming and opening your eyes to see your sin and your need and then to see Jesus. And so I want you to think about those those two together and that picture of what it looks like. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. Even that faith to see Jesus was because of the Spirit moving. He opened your eyes to see him. And apart from him moving in that way, you wouldn't see him. And so God works in that way in you before you do anything. And so there's this, uh, the Puritans used to say a quickening of the spirit. If you've ever heard that term before, you know where that comes from? Quickening of the spirit, the quickening. It actually came from when a woman's pregnant, right? You're pregnant and you now know you're pregnant. You take a test, you go to the doctor, they do the first sonogram. Yes, you're pregnant. There it is. But then at some point, and I'm going off of what I've read, ladies, you can correct me uh, afterwards. At some point, you feel that baby move. And all of a sudden, you knew it was there, and you knew it was working. You knew that this baby is growing and is in you, but then all of a sudden, you feel it move. And that's like the quickening. That's where that word comes from. The Spirit moves, and he opens your eyes, and you see that you're a sinner, and you see that you need Jesus, and you start to see who he is, and God moves in that way. And so I want you to think about what it says in Ephesians 2. And in Titus 3, and then look at what it says here in 1 Peter 3 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How do you come to faith? 
Well, it's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. And so he moves in that. And so when we think about what the Spirit has been doing in your life, bringing you to the place of faith, is that the Spirit was moving in your life and working on you until that quickening, and he opened your eyes to see Jesus, and then you put your faith in him. And it's his doing. Because of according, or because of the foreknowledge of the Father in all eternity past. And so then what about the work of the Holy Spirit in the present? Yes, it's in the past. And, and depending on where you are, we may be kind of jumping back and forth between past and present and where you are right now, what that looks like. But in verse 2, he says, In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus and for the sprinkling of his blood. And so I want us to think about that for obedience to Jesus for just a second. And so the Spirit opens your eyes, and he's working in you to show you Jesus, and then putting your faith or your obedience to him, right? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the only way you get to the place of seeing that and understanding that is the Spirit opens your eyes and you go, oh, I'm a helpless sinner. There's no way that I can approach a holy, righteous God by what I do. And Jesus says, come to me. I will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And that first step of obedience is saying, yes, I believe what you're saying, Jesus, I believe what you're saying, Lord, that I can't do this and I need you to do it. And that first step of obedience in the sanctification of the spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ is that clinging to him in faith. That transferring of your trust from yourself to Jesus. I can't do this, but thankfully, wonderfully, glorious, gloriously, he can. And you put your faith in him. Now, if you're a believer, that may have been that moment may have been in the past. Right? That may have happened at some time and you can point to that when you became a believer and what that looked like. Maybe for you, maybe you're right at that moment. Maybe you're wrestling with that right now, that that's your present. But then as you become a believer, he doesn't stop there. It's more than just that. It's not just that moment of faith, but he continues to walk with you in the obedience of faith. In the sanctification of the Spirit, in the obedience of faith, you're being set apart to God more and more fully. From one degree of glory to another. He's remaking you in His image. And that's, if you're a believer, that's presently right now. The Spirit's at work in your life to set you apart more fully to God. And He convicts you of sin. And He encourages you and He walks with you and He shows you things. You open God's Word. And he meets you there. And you know, in Ephesians 6, it says uh, uh, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. You know, in Hebrews, it says uh, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And you open God's word and the spirit begins to show you and teach you because this is the living, active word of God that the Holy Spirit wrote as he carried men along to write down these words. And he meets you in it and he starts to de- cut between the soul and your heart and your intentions and he shows you those things and he's setting you apart to greater obedience. He's sanctifying you in the spirit for obedience to Jesus right now, today, in the present. 
And he's walking with us and he's showing us those things. And he's bringing us to a fuller picture of what he looks like and who he is. He regenerates us to open our eyes to see his glory. But then as we continue to see his glory, it's transforming us. We're being overwhelmed by who he is and the way he's working and what that looks like. It's in the word, it's in prayer, it's in your daily life as you ask for God to lead and guide you and he's teaching you and he's walking with you and he's showing you these things. I want you to think about the roots of when that started. According to the foreknowledge of the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, in eternity past, he set his affections on you. And he knew at this point in your life the things that you were going to be going through and the things that you're struggling with. And I don't know how this works. And he's setting you apart degree by degree, little by little, showing you and teaching you and walking with you. But then what about that last part there where he says, and for the sprinkling with his blood. And we talked about that last week, briefly, that through Jesus... The Spirit comes and he's, he's pointing us to who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's for the sprinkling of his blood, obedience to Jesus and for the sprinkling of his blood. And that sprinkling of his blood points to the cross and what Jesus has done for us. And I posed the question last week, why is it that Jesus had to die? Which kind of presupposes the question of what's the deal with blood? Why would we be sprinkled with blood? Why would we want that? Why is that even something we're talking about? And it's pointing back to the Old Testament sacrifices of which Jesus is the final sacrifice that brings us into relationship with God. And we answered the question last week, well, why did Jesus have to die? And it's to deal with our sin, the sin that separates us from a holy, righteous God. And so Jesus comes and lays down his life for us. He who knew no sin becomes sin on our behalf that we can become the righteousness of God in him. And he does for us what we never could do for ourselves. He lives the life we haven't lived, but then he dies the death that we deserve. And in so doing, God is perfectly just because sin has been dealt with and he's perfectly merciful. And they hold together in that. And so people sometimes will ask the question, well, why can't God just forgive? Because if he didn't have a penalty for sin, God would cease to be God because he would not be perfect in every way. He would no longer be just. He would no longer be dealing with sin in the way that perfect righteousness deals with sin. His perfect holiness demands. And so he does, and he does that for us. And so when it starts to talk about in the sanctification of the spirit for the sprinkling with his blood, I want you to think about what that's happening there. The spirit sets you apart to see Jesus and what he's done. Obedience to him as you begin to put your faith and trust in him. And he convicts you of sin, and then he reminds you that Jesus has taken your place. The Spirit comes and convicts you, and you go, oh, I'm a hopeless sinner. And he goes, good news. From eternity past, the plan was that Jesus, the Son, would come and take your place and do for you what you could never do for yourself. And so receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And God has chosen in that way to be both just and merciful at the same time, to hold all those things together perfectly. And so the Spirit is reminding us of the ongoing work of the blood of cross for the forgiveness of sins when we fail. Sanctification is a process. You become a believer and you are set apart to God and you are a new creation. 
but you're still in this body of flesh and you're still struggling day to day with the things that are hard and you still forget who God is and you still don't want to believe him at different times and the spirit continues to remind you and you blow it. And there's some days you blow it big time and the spirit comes and he, he convicts you and then he points you to the blood of Jesus. And he says, you have been washed clean completely and totally by what Christ has done for you. And you experience his grace anew. But I want to remind you too in that, in that sprinkling of the blood of Jesus in for obedience to Christ as you're doing that and you're walking with him. I said this a a little while back about the importance of understanding that it's not just experiencing the grace of God in the forgiveness of sins, although it is, absolutely it is. It's also experienced the grace of God in your life when you resist temptation and you trust him in the moment and you walk in holiness. Because there too you are now being sanctified and you are walking with the spirit in all things. And thankfully he does both and he forgives us when we blow it. But he also walks with us and keeps us in those moments so that you don't step into sin and you continue to trust him. And so don't believe the lie. And this is, this is the sinfulness of our flesh that does this. We all do this at different times. Oh, well, if I blow it, God will forgive me. It's true. He does forgive us. But as soon as we start to think that way, we're cheapening his grace. We're making a mockery of it. We're forgetting what it cost him. And so better to go, we experience the fullness of his grace and his power and his working and his sanctification when we trust him in the moment. And we continue to trust him. Thankfully, he's there to forgive us when we blow it, but he's also there to empower us that we continue to walk in the spirit and the fullness of what he has for us. And so the spirit is working in all those ways in your life before you ever became a believer. And now as you are a believer, he's walking with you in that. But then the last part I want us to consider is the the future part. I want you to think about why Peter's saying all this. Right? Encouraging a people that's struggling, that God has always been there and he's always been working and he's got you and this is the way he's bringing you. But then look at what he says in verses three, four, and five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I want you to just look at what he's saying there. Because of the foreknowledge of God the Father, because of God's mercy in your life, according to his great mercy, he has caused you through the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerating you to be born again to a living hope. And then he says it's kept for you in heaven. And so if you think about the future that you have, what is holding that together? Because in eternity past, God chose you in the foreknowledge of God the Father. He set you apart in the spirit for obedience to Jesus and the sprinkling with his blood. And he's going to finish this work. And now he's pointing you ahead to this inheritance that you have that is undefiled, unfading, kept for you. And notice what he says here. Verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so think about what he's saying here. 
the roots that hold us in place that are going to bring us to the end. Go back to eternity past and God the Father's plan that he had planned before all time. And it's going to happen and it's being guarded for you in his power. I said that last week about his power versus mine. That if it's not his choosing, I would lose it. And so when I hear it's being held together in his power, guarded for you, I'm so glad it's guarded in his power. I'm so glad it's according to his love and affection set on me, that it's through his sanctification of me in the spirit for obedience and the sprinkling with Jesus' blood that it's all God and all his doing. And that brings me to a place of all I can say is thank you. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. And so I want you to think about that in two ways this morning, just two words of encouragement. First, I would say to you, uh, if you're not sure you're a believer, maybe not yet a believer, and you're thinking about these things and you go, man, you're talking about God choosing and these things and how do I know and I'm not sure about that and I still have questions and I still have doubts and I'm not exactly sure how that works. I just want to say to you, if that's you today, that is God at work in your life. You don't come to those questions on your own. That is the work of the Holy Spirit that is opening your eyes to see him. And he's at work. And if that's where you are today, if that's the case, turn to him, to the creator God of the universe that has known you before all creation. And trust him. He has plans that are infinitely better than anything that you can come up with. But if you're here today and you know Jesus and you have put your trust in him, and you know that he opened your eyes and you have seen him and you are trusting him. Hear what this means. No matter what you're going through, which he knows every bit of it. He knows exactly where you are today and the things that are facing you and the struggles that you have and the frustrations and the difficulties and all the things. And he has set you apart according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. He's setting you apart to him. And he's using these things right now. And he's changing you from one degree of glory to another. And he's doing so because he first loved you and he made that move and he's got you in the midst of it. And he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion and you can trust him in that. That is glorious good news. And so I hope you see how deep those roots go. They're infinite. Because they are rooted in the character of God and who he is. And you can trust him wherever you are in any circumstance and any situation. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news that your scripture shows us, that you've revealed to us. We thank you for showing us your word, for showing us who you are and the ways that you love us and what you've done for us. We pray that we would see it afresh today. I pray for each person here that you know exactly what they're dealing with, the struggles and the things that are in front of them. Would you remind them that in Jesus that you have chosen them before the foundation of the world, that you are setting them apart to you, that you 
in your sovereignty are using even the circumstances that we're facing right now for our good and your glory. Would you help us to see that afresh today? Help us to be overwhelmed by the goodness of your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, this is the time in our service where we get to celebrate uh, communion together. We come to the Lord's table. And as we do, uh, we just talked about past and the way God's working and the present and the way he's holding us and the future that we have. So much of the Lord's Supper, I think of Jesus uh, saying, remember what I've done, do this in remembrance of me. But then right in the middle, he talks about how uh, that we're going to eat this again when he returns. And so we're looking ahead to what he's coming to do and bring in fullness, but we're also remembering what he's done in the past. And perfectly that holds together when we come to the table in communion, that we sit right in the middle of that time of what he's done for us in the past and what he's going to bring to fruition. And so let us be reminded of that as we come to the table. And right at the center of all that is what he's done for us in Jesus And so as we come to the table, uh, I say each week, this is not something that we made up, but something Jesus told us to do in remembrance of him. And so the scriptures record it this way. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I think of even uh, kind of tucked away in everything he says. I so eagerly desire to eat this with you. That all eternity past has been leading to this moment that Jesus is about to lay his life down. And he says, I'm so eager for you to see this. And then he says, I'm telling you to do this so you never forget this thing that's right at the center of everything. And then when he says, you're not going to eat, I'm not going to eat of it with you again until I return. That he's looking ahead and God sees all of that perfectly right now. Even when we're frustrated with the moment that we're in and where we are, he's not that he's bringing his plan to fruition and we can trust in that. And so as we come to the table today, be reminded of God's eternal plans, that they are rooted and grounded in his character and who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus. And so come rejoicing. You've been set apart by God in the sanctification of a spirit for obedience to Jesus, for the sprinkling of, of his blood as we come to the table this morning. And so as we sing these last two songs, you can come as you're ready. Uh, There's two stations on each side and one in the back where you can come and be served. And so we'd love for you to come if you're trusting in Jesus this this morning and celebrate what he's done for us.